Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. In this episode, my guest is Dr. David Rico, the author of several books, from The Five Things We Cannot Change to his newest book, Ready, How to Know When to Stay and When to Go. As you'll hear in the episode, Dr. Rico has been a psychotherapist for more than 50 years. He is a teacher, a workshop leader, and writer with a deep interest in the art of living. You can learn more about his work in the world at DaveRico.com. But before we bring on our guest, you may remember an episode a few weeks ago on faith, hope, and love with Sharon LaBelle and Simon Drew. Since we ran a little short on time for that episode, we are continuing in the conversation with a live discussion on the topic of love. It's on Thursday, the 23rd of February at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's completely free to attend. You can register at thewalledgarden.com slash what is love. I hope to see you there. All right, without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Dr. David Rico. Welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you very much for inviting me, Josh. It's a real pleasure. I, I'm grateful to connect. And today we're going to be talking about your book, The Five Things We Cannot Change. And then towards the end of the conversation, we're also going to discuss your newest book, which is Ready. But before we get into those two books, we generally start with some sort of question around what got you started, what initially started some sort of search. So you're a psychotherapist, a a teacher, a writer. Maybe what have you been searching for and what got it all started, if you could share with us? I guess what I was searching for was a common sense way of being in the world that um, accommodates the Buddhist principles of accepting the facts of life just as they are, especially the fact of impermanence, which is the very first of the five things we cannot change, that things will change and end. And um, saying yes to that reality, I noticed, was very difficult for me to do. So I put a lot of practice into how does one say yes to reality rather than yes to expectations of what reality should be like or what we were taught in childhood about what reality would be like for us, uh, including inhibitions about our participation in it. Mm. And uh, I would say of all the practices I've ever done, mindfulness, loving kindness, so forth, um, I found the unconditional yes to the givens of life without protest against them 
but appreciating the value they have in building our own integrity and character and compassion. Um, I found this the most uh, wonderful and useful of all my practices. And of course, it reminds us of uh, what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, speaking about Jesus. In him, there was only yes. Mm. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that could ever be true of me. That would be a true conversion from expectations and projections directly into, um, shall we say, loving one's fate, loving one, the conditions that surround us here on the planet. Um, and of course, this would apply to relationships mm. because, you know, there too, I thought, oh, well, my marriage is going to last. Everything is supposed to last. And it didn't. And just to accept the fact that um, it's not necessarily going to be the way you thought it would be. That is the topic of the book, how to uh, say yes to the way it is in your own life. And this doesn't mean that you still wouldn't want to change things. I mean, I got the idea of the book from the little prayer that's used at the 12-step programs to uh, have the serenity to accept the things that cannot change. I thought, there are so many books on the second part, which is the courage to change the things we can change, but there's not much on uh, how do you accept what you can't change. That was the origin of my writing. And it took me on and onto a very wonderful journey. And I realized that, of course, there are millions of givens. For instance, I live here in San Francisco, so a given is earthquakes. And wherever you live, there's a given of storms, uh, earthquakes, uh, you know, whatever fits for your particular part of the geography. Yeah. Um, but I chose five specific ones that seem to work for everybody. So that's where the title comes from. So that's the background. Well, I, I love it. And uh, really love the book. I heard you on the One You Feed podcast initially. I'm, I'm fairly new to your work. And I have to say, I just find this book to be phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I've done more than 100 episodes here. I don't say that for for every single book that you pick up. But, you know, I'm curious, how did this idea of this book come to be? Was there a moment? Was this something over many decades? How did this book come to you? I think it came um, over the years as opposed to all at once. It is connected to an important statement from Carl Jung, who said, who talks about, quote, an unconditional yes to the conditions of existence without protest. And then I added without blame. And I thought, that is a challenge. Because the way things are uh, doesn't necessarily match the way you want them to be. 
And that's true of people, of events, of the conditions that surround us all the time. And um, I think it was a grace that was given to me Hmm. to be able to write about this topic. I think it takes a grace to be able to say yes. By grace, uh, one of my books is called The Power of Grace. Um, And I'm very fascinated with this wonderful concept. It really refers to the gift dimension of life. So some things we make happen and other things just happen to us. And I somehow came to the realization that what happens to us could be a kind of calling, a grace, a gift that shows us a new turn on our journey. Journey toward what? Journey toward being a person of integrity and loving kindness. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess the origin is somewhere in what I was just saying. But um, this idea of grace is its a way of referring to a sudden realization you might have or a sudden wise um, insight or courage to do something. And you knew that you didn't have this in you because of anything you did. It it just kind of came to you as a wonderful gift, like Hmm. being born with certain talents. And we call those gifts. That's the equivalent of grace. And obviously it's a theological concept also, yeah. because God is the one who gives the grace, Holy Spirit gives the grace. But uh, with or without religion, everyone has noticed that we somehow get a little help occasionally that pushes us farther than we would have gone ordinarily. That's the gift dimension of life. I'm a total believer in that. Mm. I mean, I don't have to believe. I mean, I actually experienced it. I'm sure everybody has. Uh, You just hear yourself saying something that's really helpful or wise, and you know that you didn't think it up on your own. It just came through you. That's the equivalent of grace. Or you found the ability to love what seems unlovable or forgive what seems unfair unforgivable you didn't make that happen something uh, a kind of of empowering healing energy came through you not from you and uh, that made all the difference I'm thinking of a wonderful statement by St. Bernard he said we are not reservoirs we are channels That would be the equivalent of trusting a power greater than ourselves. It's so fascinating. Sometimes I think about maybe the time and place to receive a particular grace. As you were talking there, it it brings up um, a memory. I I spent my adult life in 
in the military. I'm retired now. But I remember very clearly, maybe a, a decade ago, going to a particular um, Catholic mass in in Iraq on the base there. And there was uh, a priest that was deployed there that was um, a civilian. And I found him to be particularly wise. And uh, he gave a homily on the serenity prayer. And it's something I'd heard many times. I've, I've been into Stoicism as a philosophy, which talks about that, Nietzsche mm-hmm. and the Amor Fati. But there was something different about that time and place where I was maybe able to receive it in a, in a different way or understand it in a, in a different way. And as you're talking about it, it definitely, you know, it feels like a, like a grace, something, something fortunate in terms of the right time and place. Yeah. And that, that's going to hook up with our other topic of ready, because that's what I mean by the topic, the title of my new book, which is ready, how to know when to go and when to stay. Mm. Um, that there is a readiness that we're also not in control of that also comes as a kind of gift. I don't know why I wasn't ready on Monday, but I was ready on Tuesday. And if I waited till Wednesday, it would have been too late. Mm. So um, part of the practice of spirituality is becoming aware of timing and of openness to readiness that um, you're not in control of. And, and, you know, you gave an example of a particular experience. And then he probably didn't say anything you hadn't heard before. But in that moment, you were ready to receive it. Mm. So we would have to ask ourselves, when will I be ready to say yes to the way I am? and to the way my family is, and to the way people around me are, and to the way my job is, and to the way this political system is, while at the same time remaining committed to doing all I can to upgrade everybody and everything, including myself, my view of everybody, including myself. that would be an important part of a spiritual practice. I really love this this topic, and we generally start of um, maybe defining terms that that might come up. And there's there's one I wanted to bring up before we get into some of these uh, five givens. And you write the five simple facts of life defy and terrorize the mighty ego that insists on full control. Could you say a bit about, you know, how you define or, or think about the, the ego? It seems like it can be a, a difficult, you know, topic to, to understand and has many meanings for people. Okay. Well, first of all, ego is the Latin word for I, as in I am. And it's, uh, of course, perfectly neutral. But we could, from a psychological point of view, think of ego in two ways. Uh, From Freud's point of view, 
ego is the healthy adult part of the personality that um, is able to assess correctly and work toward goals and um, develop into a mature person. So that's the healthy ego. And we all need that. Then the word has been taken over in ordinary speech sometimes to refer to uh, something different from that, which is the big ego, the inflated ego. And this is the narcissistic personality style. So he has a big ego. He's, he's coming from ego. He doesn't, um, he doesn't get it that, you know, he's feels like he's totally entitled and he comes across as a big shot. Obviously that's the ego that nobody really likes. It's a way of making sure nobody will ever love you. If you have a dread of closeness, it will be directly proportional to your ego situation. You will either have an inflated ego, I'm the big shot, I'm entitled to special treatment, even exemption from the givens that everybody else has to face, or it could go in the other direction and be the deflated ego. Oh, I'm no good. Nobody wants me. I have nothing to offer. So what we want is to place ego in the center into the just right position mm. in which you do have self-esteem and you do have pride in yourself and you don't put yourself down, but you also don't overdo it or underdo it. So, I explain all that in the book. But in any case, um, ego has the following, the big ego has the following characteristics. I'm in full control. I'm entitled to special treatment. Nobody can cross me because if they do, I will retaliate. And the world revolves around me. So uh, the spiritual work is to let go of that mindset. It's not a part of your brain. It's a mindset that you've learned over the years. And even though it isn't often successful, you still engage in it. Because you, you're always imagining that everybody else is wrong and eventually they'll see the light, see how important you are. I am important to the world because I can make a certain contribution that no one else can make. Any person can say that. But I'm not important in the sense that I deserve better than everybody else or that I'm ahead of everybody else, on top of everybody else, in control of everybody else. That's what's called a big ego. So to accept these givens of life, one would also have to work on um, gentling that mindset or letting go of it altogether. Sometimes we don't even have to let go of it 
by our personal work, sometimes we just get a comeuppance. You know, something happens that shows us uh, just how humble we need to be. As a psychotherapist, how would you help someone that is maybe unfamiliar or very new to this idea of the givens come to, to maybe recognize this grasping for control or any of the things that you've, you've talked about. What are some of those initial steps to maybe help us see that we're not necessarily aligning with how the world works? I want to align myself to the way it is rather than to the way I want it to be. Mm. And the five specific givens that help us do that, which are the five things we cannot change. And again, I'm only choosing five main ones of many. Uh, the first one is what we've already talked about, that uh, things change in ends. Across the board, our bodies, our relationships, our jobs, our attitudes, the world around us, the weather, the political system, religion, everything is changing. So if I am the type who can't handle that, I have to conserve the way it is rather than liberally move with everything that is continually in flux. I have a disability because I'm not sitting in the saddle in the direction the horse is going. What is this horse? It's just how things unfold in the world around us. And then the second one is that things don't always go according to our plans. So this would make me realize, uh, okay, I'm not in control of outcomes. Uh, I can do my best to make plans and see if they can work out, but um, it's, I, I can't uh, totally trust that that's what will happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, pain is part of life. So when I go through suffering psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, I have to accept, okay, that's what all of us humans have to face. That is part of being human. You're going to feel pain of some kind. Mm-hmm. It was even painful to be born. Another one of the givens is that things are not always fair. So if I demand that everything be fair, I'm operating from a childish point of view. The world isn't set up that way. I'm not aligning myself to the way it is. And then finally, uh, people are, can't always be trusted to be loving or loyal. Sometimes they're unloving, sometimes they're disloyal. You might have a nice grandma who always was loving and loyal. No problem there. And, and, and it can happen. But 
Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that everybody will be like that. That's a, another important move toward maturity when you realize the rest of the world doesn't see me the way grandma saw me. So I can't expect to be held and coddled. It's a rough world, and uh, I have to be one who can roll with the punches. Mm. Um, that would be another way of saying yes, roll with the punches. And in all of this, we want to be sure we keep reminding ourselves, this is not passivity at all. You're, you're going to do all you can to have your plans work out. You're going to do all you can to find the kind of a partner you can truly trust who will be loyal. You're going to do all you can to reduce the suffering and so forth. But at some point, you're going to have to acknowledge that is, accept, surrender to the fact that uh, sometimes you can do everything you could possibly do and it's still not going to work. We have to get this about our adult children also. You know, we would love to make the decisions that we think they should make, but we just have to accept the decisions they make. And we can say, I'm here to be supportive, but we can't um, turn them into uh, replicas of what we think is the ideal. Seems, seems to be such an important point. I, I love how you write in the, in the book about this given number two, things that not always go according to plan, that it doesn't mean that we don't make plans. <laughs> you write a, an unconditional yes is a yes to the paradoxes of life. A paradox combines these apparent opposites, which are seems like in my own experience and then observing the world, those that paradox is it's difficult to see both of those opposites and come to the realization that everything doesn't go according to plan, but it's also vitally important that I make plans and lead my life, if if you will. Could you say more about putting that into practice? Yeah, it would always be a combination of I do all I can and then I let what needs to happen happen. So that's one half of a spiritual approach. I'm going to make uh, every effort. I'm going to trust the power of grace that will uh, support and upgrade my efforts. And at the same time, I'm going to accept the possibility that it could all collapse and not work out. Mm. And finally, <laughs> I will take that as an opportunity for humility, which I consider the central virtue that one would have to have in place in order to say yes. Because you're humbly standing before reality. You're not standing there with a whip to make sure reality bends to your will. You are 
uh, at the mercy of reality. Mm-hmm. Now, um, from a spiritual point of view, you, you can say, no matter what happens, for instance, let's say betrayal in a relationship, uh, no matter what happens, there's an opportunity in it for my personal growth. It's going to be painful to go through this, but I don't want to miss whatever opportunity is being offered through it. For instance, one opportunity is the realization that anybody can betray anybody, that anything can happen to anybody. I don't get a special treatment or special exemption. Uh, The other thing that makes it difficult to say yes to the givens, I'm just also thinking, is that every one of them involves some kind of grief. If things are going to change and end, I'm going to be mourning the ending. If things don't go according to my plan, I'm going to be sad. If I suffer, I'm going to be hurting. So in in reality, um, in the acceptance of reality, it is built in grief because sometimes it won't be what you wanted or it'll be the loss of something that you had held on to for dear life. And uh, that's another reason that it's hard to say yes because you are saying yes to your own tears. There's a beautiful line in the Aeneid by Virgil. There are tears in things. In other words, the everything you meet up with has some possibility in it of grief or loss. Um, and that's not like a pessimistic view. That's just a just the reality uh, of being in a changing world. A world in which you yourself are coming to an end, Mm. you know, on this mortal plane. No one is going to escape death. That would be a central given. And that's part of the first one. Everything changes and ends, even our mortal life. Mm. Sometimes religion is used as a way of protecting us from the thud of the givens. So we want to watch out for that kind of religion because that's a child's version of religion, not the adult version. In the adult version, it's what St. Paul says. In him, there was only yes. Not uh, only I get special treatment. Um, That would be another one of the challenges. It's interesting. You've said the, the word maturity maybe a couple times, which is not something that comes up on in our society much. And it hasn't come up as much in our episodes here on In Search of Wisdom. But it it does seem so closely connected in some way with just wisdom, this, this idea of maturity and flexibility and maybe everything that we've been talking about, um, you know, how do you how do you think about 
if so, any sort of connection between wisdom and maturity and flexibility in, in life, if you will? From my perspective, uh, first of all, wisdom is a gift. It's not something that you can uh, learn from um, the encyclopedia. So it's not like knowledge. It's um, a special way of knowing that um, equips you to make decisions uh, that have more maturity in them. Mm. So we might say wisdom is like the maturation um, of all that you have learned and the extent to which you have acknowledged what the reality is and said yes to it, that would lead to wisdom. But ultimately, I keep going back to wisdom as a gift of the Holy Spirit. What is mm. the Holy Spirit? Um, the power of grace that comes through you. So I can't make myself wise, but I notice, I, I, I've noticed, I become wiser to the extent that I align myself to reality and get it that um, this is my calling. Let me throw out some terms here that maybe come up in philosophical and spiritual traditions. And if there's any thoughts or differentiating, but you think of things like uh, surrender, letting go, acceptance. I've, I've seen um, Anthony DeMello uh, define enlightenment as absolute cooperation. So maybe cooperation is, a, is another word. In your view, are these all pointing to the same thing and connecting with, you know, letting go or surrendering to the, to the givens of, of life? Absolutely. And cooperating yeah. with the gift, with the way it is, would be a very good way to put it. It's collaborating with the process of evolution. Everything is evolving in the direction of more consciousness, more more love and more bliss. Um, it's just that we keep getting in the way of all that by our um, inclination toward believing in what's in our head rather than what's happening in the world around us. This fifth given, people are not loving and loyal all the time. Well, not necessarily that way. Yeah, thank you. Seems to be maybe a, a universal, difficult given at, at times to um, accept. How do you think about or advise people of putting ourselves in that instead of, in addition to people are not, loving and necessarily loyal all the time that we or I am not, you know, loving and loyal all the time. How important do you see with that particular given the, the, the self-reflection 
you know, maybe towards, towards us? Um, one of the things I mentioned in the book um, is like a follow-up to each of the givens. So I'll, I'll start with that one. Mm. Um, people are not necessarily loyal and loving all the time. And I am committing myself to be as loyal and loving as I can be and keep wanting to be more loyal and loving than I have ever been. Everything changes and ends. And when I simply go with that flow, I notice that I renew myself over and over again in the course of life, rather than just see things um, uh, crash and burn. Um, Mm. Things don't always go according to plans, but I will continue to make plans and at the same time be open to the surprises that come my way when a particular plan fails. Suffering is part of life, but yet suffering also is one of the ingredients to becoming a person of depth and character and compassion. Uh, There was a a show in the past called The Fantastics, way back in the 60s, I think. And one of their songs was, Without a hurt, the heart is hollow. Hmm. So, you know, my heart becomes bigger, um, becomes more like the sacred heart of the universe when I am um, working with my sufferings to find redemption through them and um, becoming compassionate to the other people who suffer the way I do. And then things are not always fair, but I can be as fair in my dealings as I possibly can. So I I add those statements in one of the chapters Mm -hmm. there to each of the five, and it turns them into spiritual practices. So I'm not going to be able to control what other people say or do, but I certainly uh, can do all I can to uh, be as kind, wise, and loving as I can be. Hmm. I won't be able to do this on my own. I will always be um, relying on the graces that come my way to help me do this. Hmm. That's the humility angle of it. Well, that's beautiful. And and maybe that's uh, a wonderful spot to transition to your your newer book ready and we generally ask a question to everyone that comes on of how you define or or think about wisdom in daily life and you you touched on a a little bit about wisdom earlier so feel free to add anything that that comes up for you but could you speak to the idea of we've had previous episodes that maybe talk about discernment how we might discern and you think of your book of when to stay, when to go in, in this most recent book of, of ready. Uh, most of us stay too long in what doesn't work. 
And um, I've been a therapist now for over 50 years. And I started writing the book on my around my 50th anniversary. And mm. the book topic came from my asking myself, of all the 5,000 clients that you've seen, what's the problem that came up the most? And my answer was staying too long and what doesn't work, which is the opposite of saying yes to reality. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's where the title came from. So then I thought, how does one get ready? And the readiness will be, um, have to be fearless because uh, we cling to our situation even when it isn't working. And um, we can learn how to be strong enough to make the move. And then the other half is how do I stay with something that can work if only I put more energy into it? So that's relationship, job, working on your own self-esteem. Um, the book is on three topics. How to uh, stay in what can work so that it will work. How to leave what isn't working and never will work. And third, what is the mystery of timing that tells you when to do this because you can't just decide to do it and do it. It's not like that. It has to, the timing has to be right. And to me, that's a great mystery. Like what makes the timing right Tuesday instead of Monday, who the hell knows? But uh, somehow um, we've all noticed it. I wasn't ready last year, but I am ready this year. Or I wasn't ready yesterday, but I am ready today. Um, we don't have to really understand it. We just appreciate it and go with it. Yeah. Because when you don't go with the timing, then one of two things can happen. Um, you either miss out altogether and lose your opportunity about which you will have great regret later in life or something else comes along and just makes it happen and sweeps you up and throws you into what comes next. That's what happened to Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. She wanted to leave home, but she couldn't. She came back home, even in the midst of a cyclone and then the wind just picked her up and threw her into Oz so sometimes that happens she was lucky but it could also happen you could just be lying on that bed and go nowhere you know when she passed out a little bit you could just be lying there and, and the world would just pass you by so um, the book is meant to help us get all of this and move through it. I, I recently started this, this new book and I'm really enjoying it. The it's fascinating. This idea of, uh, 
the mystery of timing. I think we all, and I'm sure many of the listeners will connect with this, some sort of timing where we get particular insight or particular clarity or calling to take a step in a particular direction. I'm curious in the way of um, the virtue of courage, you know, it's like that point we feel called to, to step in this particular direction, but it does require, you know, how do you think about the courage to actually take that, that step? You would have to rely on the courage that's in you. So everybody has all the virtues and all the vices potentially and then it's up to us to act on the virtues hopefully rather than the vices and uh, one of these virtues is courage fortitude Uh, you have to trust that it's in you Mm. and then you have to ask help if it's not in you strongly enough to uh, push you into action so that's why um, most of the heroes in stories have a sidekick. They have the guy who's helping them when they can't quite do everything they're supposed to do heroically. Um, and we all need that. But the the, the, the power of grace is not like uh, it's not a promise that you'll be preserved from something like oh I was a good guy so I could I should have a good life that's not one of the givens you could be a great person and have a horrible life you could be a horrible person and have a wonderful life but um, you would gradually trust that um, you have access to all the virtues Hmm. and you you call upon them from within. Hmm. You call upon them because they are within you and you ask for the grace to put them into practice. What, what you just said there can be a, maybe a difficult thing to accept. This uh, We can maybe want to have this notion that good things happen to good people, and that's how you know the world works. How do you make sense of our desire to... Well, you use the right word. It's a, it's a desire, and that's okay. It's okay yeah. to have a desire. Like, desire to have a million dollars, fine. It's not going to go anywhere unless you do something to move in that direction. But um, I would summarize it this way, and I would say this would be the essence of wisdom on this topic. Happiness is not a reward. Suffering is not a punishment. Hmm. You have to break the connection that the mind goes to because of all the movies and fairy tales we've heard or seen, um, that the good prosper and the evil are defeated. 
It's not like that, obviously. Yeah, that would be a that would be an example of mature wisdom to get it. Mm. Just that very simple statement. Happiness is not a reward. I'm not happy because I was good. And I'm not preserved from suffering because I did all the right things. And if I do suffer, it's not because I did something wrong and I'm being punished. That that's not the meaning of karma. Karma is not Godfather style revenge. That that would not be spiritual in the least. Characters in the Godfather movies, that's an example of of the ultimate um, horror of that ego will to retaliate because you wind up Mm -hmm. having your own family members killed along the way. That's Mm -hmm. what they, you know, found out. And letting go of ego is uh, the path away from the retaliatory style. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of work. Every movie we've ever seen uh, makes sure that the bad guy gets it in the end. And it implanted a chip in our mind that is not real. It isn't like that. Bad people get away with things, and good people are victims of bad people, etc. And it can go in any direction. Um, all that matters is that um, I continually uh, do what fits for my spiritual practice, no matter what others may do. That's contrary to what I would hope they would do. Does this make sense to you? It does. It does. And I'm, I'm truly grateful that you took the time to come on the podcast and share your your wisdom and, and time with the with the listeners. It's a real honor. You we've discussed uh, the five things we cannot change in uh, your newest book, Ready. You've written a, a number of other books. And is there anything that you're still curious about? Any sort of projects in the in the works or topics that might be um, you know piquing your your curiosity these days? Uh, now I'm trying to understand the givens of getting older and how it affects body, mind, and spirit. And so that's my project. Well, I love it. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Dave Rico. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on In Search of Wisdom. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Josh. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. You can learn more at perennialleader.com. There you'll find links to show notes, our daily email newsletter, and reading in the good life, a free weekly meetup. Until next time, be wise and be well.